Oh. Back's hurting today. Sore. Old. I, got it. I didn't. I know. Okay. I, I just said it before you did. No, I wasn't going to say a word. No, you was thinking it. I, could I may it. have thought it, but right, I wasn't exactly. going to say it. See, so you might as well just said it. Oh, I guess that's true. You are old. Okay. Thanks. It's been said. Thanks, friend. No problem. Thanks, friend. I'm here for you. No, just ask. Mm -hmm. I feel it. I feel the pain in my back. Ouch. I feel the pain. It's a little lower. <sighs> Oh, yeah? Is that where your eyeballs are at? I was, like, was going to say, <laughs> hindsight. You see, you turned that on me. I was setting him up, and boom, we flipped it. Yep. I'm seriously going to get some giant googly eyes and put it on those. Put a shirt in the back. Oh, I'm going to put it on the pants. No. With an arrow. The pockets. Hindsight was an there arrow. There you go. Down. Yeah. Stuff hates googly eyes, so I'm just gonna I'm gonna combine it, mash it all together. It's gonna be great. <sighs> You're gonna lose that. Oh, for sure. I, well, you know, it's not that. I used to play that googly eyes song all the time and sing it, and it drove her nuts. I got googly eyes, and it's no surprise that song. <laughs> it's my favorite. It's so good. It must be better than when someone else sings it, then, because I, I I don't know. You didn't think that was very good? No, not really. Yeah. Well, thanks, thanks for trying. Mm -hmm. It was quality, just not my style. Yeah. 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 He's got to get his shots when he can. Hey. I'm letting him. I'm, yeah. They were just taking it. Let Waiting me. for him to be done. Are you done? Letting it roll. Okay. Yeah. For now. <laughs>
So I come in to this, I'm not 100% decided on what we're going to talk about, to be honest with you. Because I reached out to you, Mike, mm-hmm. about our topic. And I had some things being pressed on me um, that I really didn't want to talk about. Mm. <laughs> I'm going to be perfectly okay. honest. Because uh, I know it's not going to be, what's the right word? Appropriate? You no, know, it'll be appropriate. <laughs> it's not going to be easy to hear, let's mm-hmm. put it that way. And he consistently lays on me to say things that aren't easy to hear. And I enjoy being liked. I'm going to be honest. I like, I like, being, really? I do. I do. <laughs> this is my struggle. This is my, this is my Elijah Road. enjoy being liked. I do. I like. But don't you enjoy like, telling the truth? Much more than being liked, yes, which is why I tend to. No, but sometimes like, there's, there. there's your answer. Sometimes the truth makes people not like you. Mm-hmm. Yes. And guess what? I don't care. Yep. Because I know Jesus loves me because I, because I tell the truth. Yeah. How about that? I like you it. should worry about that more I than a, you worry about somebody liking you. I had a situation like that this weekend. Like I said, on the A side, which I kind of like that, <laughs> the A side. Um, I went to a church and missed uh, Brother SpongeBob's sermon. I'm going to use it every chance I get. I know. He just, but he's not forcing it. I'm not, yeah, not, not forcing it. it. You can see how it just flowed out. Waiting for just anybody else to pick it up. <laughs> soul has. But anyway... So I went to this other church, and they had a uh, a sermon on, on Daniel and the fiery furnace, and they were talking about how America was also, you know, the new Babylon, it was Babylonian spirit, how we have, America has dissolved away from our original founded on God principles. That was part of the service. But in that service, he started talking about homosexuality and how it's a sin. Well, as I looked around, which it is, as I looked around that congregation, I saw a lot of faces go, mm, you know, kind of drop. And I went out to lunch, and that was the first question I was asked, where do you stand on this? I said, where's the Bible stand? Yeah, that's the only thing that matters. That's right. I said, the Bible says it's a sin. It's no different sin than being an adulterer. It's still a sin. They're going to have to answer for it. Now, Jesus tells me that I need to love that person, but I don't need to love their sin. That's where I stand on. Well, what if they're just that way? I said, what if I was just a giraffe? I'd be a giraffe. If you're gay, you're gay. That's your thing. I still love you. But the Bible says it's a sin. If you ask me where I'm standing, that's where I'm standing on the side of the Bible. I thought, okay, good job, Mike. Back out. You're done. The whole lunchtime kept coming at me, kept coming at me. Well, they're they're good people too. I said everyone's a good person until they're not. Uh, what do you what do you, you know? I was like, what what do you want me to concede my point? Because that's not going to happen. You know, I'm going to say something that most people aren't going to want to hear. None of us are good. There there is no good person. Um, he he clothes us in his righteousness. We are not good. And, and the idea that being born into sin is somehow absolves you of committing sin without repentance, we're all born into sin. We're all born into a sin nature. Just because somebody was born into that particular sin nature doesn't make it okay. That's the whole purpose of being born again. Mm-hmm. The thing is, is the sin nature you're talking about is original sin. The sin nature they're doing is transgressional sin because they choose 
to be that way. Like we choose to overeat or we choose to to curse or we choose to uh, have bad thoughts or we choose to wander whatever yeah. fill in the mm-hmm. blank i mean you know sin sin no matter whether you've murdered somebody no matter whether you've uh, uh molested a child trust me i struggle with that one mm-hmm. i struggle with that but my god says that with not hating them you mean with not hating yeah my god says i got to love them my God says that they can be forgiven for that sin. Right. Just yeah. like I can be forgiven for my, my sins. Exactly. Well, most guys would say they struggle with not wanting to to sleep around a lot. Right. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. We were born with a sex drive. Mm-hmm. That doesn't make sleeping around okay. It doesn't Being right. born with an out-of-control sex drive because we're, we're fallen in nature doesn't mean that we have a free pass to throw ourselves into that fallen nature. Right. We're told to combat that fallen nature. That's what we're commanded to do in Scripture. And you can't cherry pick things out um, to make yourself feel better or to make right. somebody else feel good about their sin. That's not love. That's 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 taken. And this is something I was going to kind of talk about: the importance of boundaries, guardrails. That's that's like coming up to a cliff. There's a guardrail and a sign there that says, "Hey, beware! There's a cliff here," and tearing it all down so that your neighbor feels better about walking off the cliff. Mm-hmm. That's not love. No. Right. It's not. Um, we, we, we've got to get past that. And we've also, we've got to get past it on everything that God calls sin, not just the low-hanging fruit like homosexuality. Mm-hmm. It's, it's easy to point the finger at that because it's a big hot-button issue. Right. right. But there are a lot of things that God calls sin. And we, we tend to pick and choose which parts of it we, we want to apply and which parts we want to say, eh, I've got, uh, as, as Pastor Cole would say, an opt-out clause. Yeah. yeah, I can ignore it. Well, the reason I'm just, go ahead. Mike. Oh, I was just okay. going to say, I think that sometimes the issue maybe isn't the fact that um, they're not they're not talking about all the sin. That just sometimes that's what people are bringing up to them. That's true. like you know, like having a sermon on it and then kind of being lamb blasted by it all over lunch, yeah. as opposed to, hey, let's go talk about other sins and what you know. Yeah, that's good. This well, is a sin. Right. This is a sin. I, I did my best to explain that that it is a sin. Yes. Right. But I also pointed out, I sin, you sin, you sin every single day. There is no ultimate bad sin other than forsaking God. I mean, that's probably the ultimate bad sin. I I don't know right about that or not. I think sin leads to forsaking God. Yes. Right. Okay. Yes. You know, know, the, the sin that doesn't get forgiven is blasphemy. That's the only one that does not get forgiven. That's what I... Of the Holy Spirit. Of the Holy Spirit, yes. But anyway, what I was going to say is most of the time when people start picking out sins that other people are doing, I've, I've been guilty of it. I'm, it. It's sad to say I've been guilty of it. We probably all have, Bob. Oh, I guarantee we have. It's because we're trying to cover the sin that we're in. Mm-hmm. Right? We're trying to get the eyes off of us and put it on somebody else because— I got to look good in front of all these people. You know, yep. it's funny you bring that up, Bob, because <clears throat> as I was talking to these young people, um, it occurred to me about something <clears throat> that I'm not going to go into, but something was revealed to me while speaking to them. I'm, uh, here I am trying to explain about sin, something popped into my head, and I went, now, wait a minute, Mike, you hypocrite. What about this? Of course, I didn't say that out loud. That's what I was thinking. 
But I think it also showed just how how strong the worldly drive is out there to destroy anything to do with God. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's massive, and these young folks are buying into it. Right. And I think a lot of the problem I know for me and I know other Christians too sometimes is the fact that nobody wants to just have a discussion about it. They just want to talk to you and tell you how you're wrong. You're sinning, yeah. Yeah. But it's not just the sinning, but I mean, when it's coming from non, non-believers non oh. as to why are you doing this? Why are you saying this? It's never just a conversation. It's about how just trying to prove you're wrong in what you're saying. Yeah, I face that all the time. I mean, my wife and my daughter both asked me, Please stop posting scripture on Moberly Talks. They see the comments people make to me. They're they're terrible. I took Carl and Bob's advice to say, I'll pray for you. I'm sorry you feel that way. And, I, and that's all I say. Mm-hmm. Now, now, now that's happening, I've got other people I don't even know taking up the fight for me against these other people. Mm-hmm. But I, they said, you don't need to do that. People don't want to hear this. I know. I said, what I'm doing is spreading seeds. I don't know if it's on rocky ground, fertile soil, or the sidewalk, but I'm commanded to spread the gospel, and I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. That's not about what they want to hear. It's about what they need to hear. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and as far as you saying that you're you're spreading it on the rocky soil and, and you know, the un, whatever, the thorny soil, you know, of course, he, he says we need to we need to. Sp- spread it and plant it in fertile in in good soil but you know you're really you're trying to plant it in good soil because you're throwing it out there and you're not you're not planting it on the rocky soil you're not planting it on the you know on the unfertile soil you're not on the third you know um you're just planting seed that's all i'm doing yeah and i had a lady today come back saying thank you for posting this this is just what i needed today Mm mm-hmm so, because I was I was this close not to post the scripture on it today, right? And I think that that's the thing too is to keep in that diligence of one person. That's it. And honestly, you're not even doing it for one person. You're doing it for the audience of one, right? Right. You know, this is on your heart, so keep continuing to do it. And I think that that's another issue in itself that people always feel the need to comment on it negatively. Just go. If you, if you don't like it, just yeah. just continue on. Right. I, I've got a ton of stuff that I, I don't like. I just go on. I don't I don't have to comment you know, on it at all. I don't have to start a fight. To do, I'm sorry. Mike. Oh, no, no, no. What they're probably trying to do is to get you to react in a way to be like, oh, see, you're mm-hmm. not Christian. Yep. You're just putting that stuff out there to make yourself look good. Yep. And I did, re- <clears throat> I did not react. No, and not. that's good. And, you know, the best, the best action or the best reaction is no action. Mm-hmm. Not to say anything or to say, I'll just pray for you because I love you because my God commands me to love you. You know, um, that that speaks volumes because any any kind of argument out there, if you speak love to an argument, what's it do? It squashes it because there is no there is no rebuttal to love. That's exactly what happened. I, I mean, they 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 on that particular post, they shut down and stopped. But it's always the same people that come back and say the same. One guy compared the Bible to, to uh, Dr. Seuss' Cat in the Hat's just a book. And my flesh wanted to jump all over this guy. But I didn't. I said, I'm sorry you feel that way. I'll pray for you. I just left alone and walked, walked, walked on, you know. 
Well, and it comes back to what we talked about at the start of this. Um, they reject God because they don't like what he says. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, because, you know, this book isn't all uh, God showering you with blessings for doing nothing in return. It's not all peaches and right. cream. No, it's no. not. There, there are expectations. And when you fall out of the boundary markers of those expectations, that's called sin. And most people don't like that. Nope. And, and that's where we come to that crossroad. Like I've mentioned before, you have a choice. Do you either pursue God and agree with his boundary marker or do you run from him or try to try to pave this middle way uh, where you, where you, where you delude yourself into believing you're following him wholeheartedly, but you're trying to do it your way, not his way, which is, I think, where most people that call themselves believers fall into. Yeah. That's, that's the trap most believers fall into, doing things my way. I know. I was just going to say it. it I, I would challenge you. Post it wherever you want to post it. Yeah. Don't even look at the comments. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good idea. idea. Just put it out there because that's what you're called to do and then just leave it. Yeah, because who are you doing it for? Doing it for the Lord. Yeah. There you go. Correct yep. answer. Because yeah. it doesn't and matter I, and what I everybody say that else thinks. No. For two reasons. I, I, I say it for what would probably be the most, uh, you know, uh, relevant one is not giving them the satisfaction of trying to shoot you down, but also so that you don't hear necessarily the good things that might bolster you up. So in both instances, it's keeping yourself humble because you're just completely and totally doing it just because God's calling you to, and that's what's on your heart. Yeah. And I know it's a challenge because nobody I don't think there's anybody that, that would post something that doesn't feel a little bit better when they get a like on it or a comment. And hopefully it's a good one. You, you know what I mean? No, exactly. It can become an obsession. Yeah. yeah. The thing and is, I'm not saying it is. I'm not saying it's becoming an exception. I just would challenge you just so that that way, just taking it off the table, taking that power and that anything to make you feel anything other than what God's want you to feel about posting that work. Guard your peace. That started for me about three and a half months, four months ago. I was reading a lot of scripture. I still, well, I still am, but I mean, and I kept saying, I kept feeling like, why are you reading this to yourself? I mean, so many other people could benefit from it. Mm-hmm. You know, you guys know sometimes I'm reading something, I'll post it there in our, in our, uh, our thread. Sometimes somebody will say something, sometimes nobody will say a word. And in the beginning, I was like, well, what's going on here? Right. Because then, then I realized I was looking for an attaboy or a gold star from believers already, my friends. That's a good job. I I, I don't need that. Well, right. it's a lie. My flesh wants that. Right. Okay. Yeah. That's the truth. And then I thought, well, you just need to do it because it's the right thing to do, regardless of what is said or done. That's how I was, was on Sunday. Sunday was a rough day for me in a lot of, lot of, a lot of respect to uh, things I stood on. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm hoping that whatever I said to these young folks was correct, that it was the truth. I don't think it was wrong when I said, whatever the Bible says, that's what I believe, because that's true. Right. I mean, I know what they say about all that. 
So, and again, I think that the thing, and it baffles me because of course you can take it outside of Christianity, but it's just so many people don't want to have a conversation about it because if you go into a conversation about it, then you could tell them, well, I'm not judging anybody unless they're claiming to be a Christian because that's what I'm called to do. You know, everybody says God's not calling you to judge anybody. That's really not true. He's calling you to judge believers and like-minded people so that you can keep them in iron sharpens iron and you keep them within those guardrails like we're talking about. Right. Outside of that, you're not called to. But the judgment he's talking about is a godly judgment. Absolutely. It's not a harsh judgment like the world makes you out to be. Out to be. Yeah. It's a godly judgment. There's there's a difference. Well, I know. If you if you're yep. doing it God in God's way, you're doing it in a loving manner. Yeah. If you're doing it the world's way, oh, there's where the there's where the harshness comes from yeah. right there. Because like we've talked about here too, is everybody just wants the loving God, right? But the loving God is also like Carl says, a, a, a jealous God. He's also, I mean, I always think of him like he what he is, and that's a father. Mm-hmm. And I, and I have been disciplined or had been disciplined by my father multiple times, and I still love him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He was doing it for what's best for me, right? Well, I also think we try to re- we try to redefine his love as lawless. Yeah, and yeah. it's it's not. He's the one that gave us the law. <laughs> right, it makes no yeah. sense. You know what I mean? He tells us to judge with righteous judgment, and biblically speaking, righteous is always defined as what falls in line with with his commandments and expectations, not just the commands against right. homosexuality. To to bring up what what you had had, you know, um, suggested to me for a topic, the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. Like it or not, that's number four in the Big Ten. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Thou shalt not be a homosexual isn't listed as part of the Big Ten, but thou shalt honor my Sabbath day, the seventh day Sabbath, because on the seventh day I rested from all creation. That is one of the Big Ten. That is one of the Big Ten. And we treat it like it's throwaway. Yeah. And honestly, the arguments that I've heard for why we we discard it aren't good. We don't have anything biblically that says that he got rid of it that he abridged it or that he changed it to Sunday. We don't find that biblically. There are, there are a handful of proof texts. We're going to get into one of these in a second, but there are a handful of proof texts that that often will be pointed to. Um, but it's not saying what we're taught that it's saying. It, it never says get rid of it. Actually, I recently re- I listened to a sermon from a really, really popular pastor, and he was given all the reasons why um, in his theology that he's accepted that he believes that the Sabbath as the, the seventh day is Saturday, so why he believes that it was changed to Sunday, right? Because there's a handful of, of theologies that are mainstream. One is that it's a Sabbath principle, so it's any day, which isn't what God says. He says Sabbath day. It, it, nowhere in Scripture do you find the phrase Sabbath principle anywhere. It's, okay. it's not there, never. Um, the more popular is that it was changed to Sunday, and his reasoning was that because God filled so many um, um, pivotal events in Sunday, therefore we ignore Saturday and we keep Sunday because that's when Jesus was resurrected and that's when Pentecost occurred. That's problematic. Just because miraculous events happen on a different day of the week doesn't mean that we now discard the fourth commandment. And the biggest leap in logic here, the, the problem in, in, in that idea that he filled a different day of the week with certain events is those specific events were biblical holy days. Jesus was resurrected on the biblical holy day called first fruits. So he filled first fruits with Jesus resurrection. 
Pentecost is a biblical holy day too. So he filled Pentecost with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Why don't we celebrate those holy days? <clears throat> if it's all about him filling certain days with these pivotal events, why, based on the same theology, do we discard those holy days, but then change the Sabbath? Do you see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. How that's, that's, it's a sort of weird logic. Right? No, it's not. It, it's just it's just man cherry picks what he wants. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, there's there's that's the logic behind it right there. Yeah. It's just like all the law books we've got in the libraries. If one guy doesn't like a law, he writes another one to cover that law. Mm -hmm. So I mean, and then they've got so many laws out there, nobody knows what anything says anymore. So they're like, oh well, we'll just continue making up our own. Well, you know what? We can't make up what God says. We cannot add to his word. We cannot take away from his word. We cannot change it one bit. We can't dot one eye. We can't change one T. It is what it is. And he says what he means, period. Yeah. There is nothing, there is nothing that we can rebut to that. If he wants to change the law, absolutely. It can be changed only if he wants to change it. Yeah. And only, if he, only, only if, he, if he does. And it better be clear that he done it. And see, that's the thing. Like he tells us that he will do nothing of, of extreme importance without first declaring it through his servants, the prophets. He says that if he does something major, he's going to speak it through the prophets first so that you know that it was him that did it. Mm -hmm. Just like Jesus, Yeshua, like everything that he did was spoken through the prophets before he did it, right down to where he was born. So you would think that if he was going to do something so monumental as take one of the big Ten Commandments that he wrote on stone with his own finger and change the wording of it, you would think that somewhere we would have a declaration that he was going to do that in the prophets, but you don't. No. You have total silence. Total silence. And that's where I struggle with, with the idea of just defying his word there. That's why I personally keep the Sabbath, because I don't find any good argument for disobeying him. And it's not about earning salvation. I haven't earned anything by by obeying the Sabbath any more so than I earned salvation by not cheating on my wife, right? I, I, I'm i faithful to my spouse because he says that I should be and I love her. Guess what? You can't earn salvation anyway. Exactly. Because it's a free gift that he gives. Yeah. There's no earning it. You can't buy it. You can't be the good person and give everything and think you're going to heaven because it ain't going to happen. Yeah. And, and yet he still tells us, obey me out of a genuine love. And the reason I bring this all up is because we can't browbeat somebody who's given themselves over to a homosexual lifestyle and say, hey, Leviticus says this. Right. You, you shouldn't do this because this is what Leviticus says, because I can guarantee you how they're going to rebut you. Do you do the Sabbath? Mm, the Ten Commandments says this, because mm -hmm. I've had them re rebut in that way. Right. They'll, they'll point right back to the same law book that you're pointing them to and say, you're disobeying the same law you're holding me accountable to. And if, if we're guilty of that, we have no argument. No, mm -hmm. nothing to stand on. No, other than hypocrisy. Exactly. And that's, that's a problem. That's really a problem. We've got to stand on the whole word of God. You know, we've talked a lot of Carl, uh, all of us have together about watered down doctrine. And I think the Sabbath is probably viewed as part of that watered down doctrine. Because to be honest with you, that's probably the most watered, the most watered down doctrine. But I've been thinking a lot about watered down doctrine lately, and what drives it. And I've come to one conclusion: man's bad decision based upon the idol of money. That, in my humble opinion, after thinking about so many things, it's the false god of money. So many things are watered down and changed. Okay, I know we're beating a dead horse talking about, about be, being gay, but a lot of preachers want cheeks in the seats. 
just to have them in the seats. So we're going to water down this over here. We, you know, the government businesses want you to spend your money seven days a week. Money, again, and it comes up again and again and again. Now, when I grew up, there was something called the blue law here in Missouri. Carl, you probably don't remember it. You're too young. But on Sunday, man, there was nothing. I mean, nothing. No. Other than restaurants open. And uh, depending on what town, what town, what town you was in, even restaurants may not even exactly. Been Everybody went over to Illinois to go shopping on Sunday because they were open on Sunday. But I'll tell you what, at the time I didn't like the blue law because that means I had to do everything in six days. I couldn't just run to the Walmart and get X, Y, and Z. Again, it comes back to what Carl said earlier on the A side about comfort. I think we're too tied up in comfort. We, we, and I'm not saying being comfortable is bad. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying when your whole idea of what you should do is tied up in, around being comfortable and having money and feeling as though you're in charge, that's where I think our problem lies. Because like Carl said, you, you we cherry pick, and I'm guilty of it. I'm not going to sit there and say I'm not. Because you know I, I don't observe the Sabbath the way he does. I don't. And I was one of those people in the camp saying, well, it's a Sunday, not Saturday. But if you actually look at the calendar, Sunday's the first day of the week. It is. Hmm. So if you just take that out and extrapolate <laughs> that, the last day of the week is Saturday. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure this out. You don't have to go to the moon to figure this out. Because we couldn't can. anyway. Ah, here we go. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> my soapbox. So that was my weekend. Well, the reason I care about it, and again, it's not because we're earning salvation, but the reason I care about the Sabbath is the same reason that I care about anything else that Most High says, because He cares, exactly. right? Because He expresses that He cares. Um, and a couple things I wanted to say about it. Uh, first off, for the next few weeks, I kind of want to focus on something. We read last week in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, where He says, um, um, bear one another's burdens, and so doing, you'll fulfill the law of Christ. And I think it's really important to understand what the law of Christ is. Right. Is he talking about something completely distinct and different that we can just take three quarters of our Bible and discard it and it's a completely new thing? Or is it is it something that we've had all along? And it's not something that we can do in one week. Because there's several there's several prophecies that I want want to look at that make it very, very clear when you put everything together what the law of Christ really actually is. Um, but because you talked about the Sabbath, I want to take a little time this week to talk about that, why it matters. And honestly, it, it goes right down to a very simple thing. It matters because he says it does. It, absolutely. Um, I've heard a lot of arguments why um, the Sabbath shouldn't be kept the way the Most High says that it should be kept. First and foremost, anytime we, we bring ourselves out of alignment with what he says out of his own mouth, there's a problem. When, whenever we get to a place where we're trying to grasp at excuses for why we ignore what he's clearly saying, something's wrong. And, and I don't care how popular that something is. Something's wrong. Mm -hmm. We've got to follow him first. And we've already talked about one, that it was changed to Sunday. Um, I think we kind of mentioned the other, that it was just abrogated altogether. And you don't find that anywhere. Jesus himself said, don't even begin to think that I came to abolish the law of the prophets. I, I came to bring them to a fullness. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah and we treat but, fulfill you know, there like it's do away with. And right. that's not what that word that's means. Exactly right. You know, a lot of people, a lot of people think that when Jesus fulfilled on the cross, that the Old Testament went went to the wayside. It did not. When when Jesus said, 
when Jesus said the, the commandment to love your God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your mind, and then love your neighbor like you love yourself, that doesn't mean that he kicked the Ten Commandments out. No. All he done was said, do that, but yet still keep the Ten Commandments. Keep the commandments that God has wrote. The Old Testament still matters. Well, he was saying that uh, when he was being questioned what the most important commandments were, right? Right. Yes, and he quoted from the law. quoted from the law. A a law that we treat like doesn't matter. You know, I I honestly think you mentioned, I wasn't going to talk about this, but I think us classifying Scripture, like we take three quarters of our Scripture and say this is old, air quotes old. And then we take the what comes after that, and we say this is air quotes new. You know, there's there's nothing in the Bible that tells us which particular books are classified as old and which are classified as new. Um, what it talks about is entering into a new covenant. It, it talks about that as a fulfillment of prophecy, right. and a covenant is how you relate, right? So, like like when you marry your spouse, you enter into a covenant with her. That's why he uses that language. Uh, when we enter into a relationship with him, it's covenant language. A, a new covenant was necessary because he divorced the northern kingdom, mm. right, for sin. He says that through Jeremiah, that I, I gave them a writ of divorce, right? So a, a remarriage was necessary because we had broken our relationship with him so fantastically that a new, a, a new way of relating to us was necessary. But here's the thing. If it's, if it's a marriage... If, for example, if if you decide you're going to cheat on cheat on your wife, Bob, and then you get divorced because of it, and you get remarried later, it's a new marriage, right? Yes. But are the vows the same? In the no. second marriage, are you allowed to cheat on your wife? No. No. And see, same, that's the same vows. That's where I think we kind of we have a, a a false understanding of what the new covenant is. It it doesn't necessarily mean the vows are different. And in fact, all the prophets that talked about the new covenant all linked it to having the vows, the original vows, written on our heart. So it wasn't the vows that changed, it was the way the Father related to us, not through stone tablets anymore, but through directly in our heart. It was the way He had a personal relationship with us. That was the change, but the vows, the prophets tell us, were the same. Does that kind of make sense? So when we take a blank page, and we, 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 we go from Malachi to Matthew, and we arbitrarily insert a blank page there, mm-hmm. And we, we declare what comes to the left of that is old. It implies that if it's old, it's not quite as relevant anymore. The big problem here, I'm sorry, then I'll turn it over to you, Bob. The big problem here is you're classifying multiple prophets that talked about the new covenant, even talk about the return of Christ that hasn't happened yet. And you say it's old and less relevant. That makes no sense. You're taking prophets that are talking almost exclusively about the new covenant and calling them old covenant. That makes no sense at all. And it, I, I understand that the blank page is to is to 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 sort sort of point the way that before this point in time we were in the old covenant relationship, and after this point in time we're in the new covenant relationship. That's true, but when we when we treat our text like that, it implies to people that what the Father had to say up to that blank page is not relevant to you anymore, yeah. and that's a problem. That leads to a lot of bad theology. Well, doesn't that suggest that God changed? What you just said, if if, if. Well, I'm going to tell you, the New Testament intertwines with the Old Testament. You tell me, you prove to me how much of that New Testament is not quoted from the Old Testament. There's probably 80% of the New Testament Massive amount. Quoted, quoted from the Old Testament. Jesus, 
Jesus himself, everything in red is quoted from the Old Testament. Right. He taught from the Old Testament. Well, that's why I said. So what how I said. how can? Oh, I'm sorry, but I'm just going to say how can how can the Old Testament the Old Testament be put aside when the New Testament intertwines with it? Because if you don't know what's in the Old Testament, you don't know what the laws say, you don't know what the prophets say. How can you understand what Jesus is telling you? How can you read anything Paul wrote? Jesus said that at one point. If you don't believe what Moses wrote, how are you going to believe what I'm saying? Exactly. Um, that's the problem. That's the problem. It's a, it's a serious problem. For me, I, I just want to, I, I want to bring the subject back up. To me, when, when it's treated like that, it's almost saying God has changed. What he had done originally was wrong, which we all know is not true. No, because what, what's God say? He's the same today. today. He was the same yesterday. He'll be the same tomorrow and forever. Now, I, now I will say this, though. There are aspects that, that we find codified in the biblical law and what we call the Old Testament that's relating to an old approach because we created a wedge between ourselves and him. Right. Right. So there are certain things. A good example of that is the Levitical priesthood. The Levitical priesthood is there because there was a wedge and we couldn't all approach him. You know, now that we're in the new covenant, we can all approach him, mm -hmm. right? Because we have a Melchizedekian. Is that how you say that? Melchizedekian? Mm, don't look at me. I don't know why. Hey, what we're, we're yeah. I am we're not believe. the correct one. <laughs> Jesus is our priest and our high priest in the order of Melchizedek. You know, so, so obviously something changed because actually biblically, I don't remember the exact references, but biblically speaking, your king and your high priest have to be two separate individuals. Mm -hmm. The king can't also be the high priest. Mm. However, Jesus is both our king and our high priest. But we had that prophesied that that was going to happen. Yes. We had the prophet saying that in the future there was going to be a Messiah who was both your king and your high priest, which meant that the, the approach that, changed. That actually, that actually come out of Genesis chapter 3, when God made the promise to the woman that, there, that she would bear a, a descendant that would crush the sin in the world. And that was Jesus. Before Adam and Eve, they, they walked with God in the cool of the garden every day. Mm -hmm. They didn't have to have a Leviticus priest to, to talk to God. Exactly. Afterwards, afterwards, it changed because they disobeyed God and they got themselves kicked out of the garden. And that's when I'm sure God still talked to them. But as, as it went on, people still, they just, kept disobeying and they kept rejecting and they kept God would bring them back and, and then they'd reject. And then God's like, okay, you're going to have to have a Leviticus priest to be able to come to me because you can't do it on your own. Apparently I can't, I can't get you to understand that you need to come to me with your problems instead of doing what you're doing. And they were they were crying for a king. They needed a king. They always needed a king. They always needed somebody to lead them. They couldn't trust that God could do it for them. You know that that's exactly why the that's exactly why the Israelites couldn't walk out of the wilderness and into the into the promised land because they couldn't trust God. Mm -hmm. They thought that God was doing them wrong. They thought that He was a mean God. Yeah, but He wasn't. He was a loving God. Well, Jesus himself says, and we, we, we noticed this, we started that, that study on the book of Revelation, small group of all the books to, <laughs> to draw out of all the hat. All the books to draw, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, we... We're blaming we, that on Brett. Yeah, yeah, yeah. literally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, drew it out of the hat. And... 
<laughs> hilarious. <laughs> hilarious. But we notice that Jesus says twice, both in chapter one and in chapter five, that and he's talking to believers and he says, you're a kingdom of priests. That was always the goal. And I, I love that you mentioned that, Bob, getting back to that relationship that we had in the garden. That's what we were created for. Mm -hmm. A priest is just somebody who's allowed to approach God. That's essentially what the priest's role is, is they're able to approach. For. They always wanted somebody that could approach God, and they didn't have to do it. Yep, absolutely. They were lazy. Yep. You know, that's the thing. But now Jesus hung on the cross so we could approach God again and not be lazy. And that comes down to the personal relationship part of it. you got to be able to approach him. you got to be able to talk to him. If you don't have that personal relationship, you ain't got nothing, period. I mean, you got to have it. All right, <laughs> yep. I'll quit preaching. No, don't quit preaching. <laughs> no. I want you to preach. I forget where it's at. Um, it's in Exodus, either chapter 19. Uh, chapter 20 has the Ten Commandments. But at some point, they heard the voice speak out loud. The The Ten Commandments were actually spoken out loud from Mount Sinai. Most people don't realize that. Um, most was people that think when that he brought them down the first time, or was it when he— The first time. The first time. Yeah, the yeah. first time. The second time when he had to go back up yeah. was because of rebellion. Rebellion. And that's when I think the shift occurred. Or, or that event showed that this shift was necessary because Jesus was going to have to yeah. bring us back to the goal. Could you imagine how Moses felt have to sit there and chisel yes. all them Ten Commandments out when God just done it real easy with his finger? Uh, yeah, no <laughs> doubt. Like, Dang, God, why? Because <laughs> that is what's fascinating about that is the first, the first stone tablets were tablets from heaven. Mm -hmm. So the tablets themselves were from heaven after he broke them. And I don't believe, you know, we, we picture that like he broke them in a fit of rage. And I, I, I really think Moses broke them symbolically because when he came down, they'd already right. broken the commandment. Yes. So he, it, when you, when you, when a covenant was broken, you would physically break it. Right. You know what I mean? As a, as a testimony yep, against the when people. When he come down, that's when they had the, the golden calf up and they was, yep. uh, they was worshiping that golden calf. Yeah. Doing some pretty vile pretty, things. Yeah, doing some yeah. pretty vile things. So he breaks it and then um, God commands Moses to cut new tablets out. So the tablets that were, that they had the second time were actually from earth, which is really interesting. So the first time he gives the marriage vows, the vows come directly from heaven. The second time he gives the marriage vows, they come from earth, right? Mm -hmm. Essentially, when we're in the new covenant, that's the third time. The third time the marriage vows come, not the second, the third, because the second was the tablets from earth, and then it comes on the tablet of our heart. And that's the, that highlights the change in his approach to us. And you can relate them tablets from the Garden of Eden to where they got kicked out. To where God had to take care of it again, and then when Jesus come to hang on the cross for our sins, yeah. that's when the godly tablet that's when the godly tablets come back. Yeah, and the whole point is to get us to hear His voice. I wanted to mention that because He 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 spoke the commandments out loud, but then the people said they didn't want to hear Him speaking anymore because it scared them, and that's when they sent Moses up and said, "You go talk to Him," because yeah. us us hearing Him, we might die. He might kill us. So you, Moses, you go. Shows you how much they love Moses, right? So you know, that that, that tells you right there that they knew, they knew that they was in the wrong. They absolutely knew. They knew it. They, knew. they didn't, they, they was like a, they was like a scared little child, like Adam and Eve was in the garden when they hid from God, when he come down to walk with them in the cool of the day. Yeah. They were ashamed. They were scared because they knew they were naked. They knew they'd done wrong. Eve said it right there, right there in verse two of chapter three, God said that I couldn't eat from that tree. God said, God said I was not supposed to eat from that tree. Well, in 10 commandments is the tree that think about it. God said, we need to do that. He says, okay, you ate from that tree when I told you not to. Now this is the tree I want you to eat from. 
the Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. You follow these, you eat these. You keep them on your mind. Well, and I believe that they probably naturally just, naturally, they instinctively did what was in accordance with his character right. before. Right. Before the eight, before and then they got yeah. the knowledge of evil, and then yeah. that temptation of sin came in. Yes. That original sin brought transgressional sin into the into yep. the paradigm, which is why the law was necessary to kind of boundary markers, right. keep us in well, line. You know, the, the first transgressional sin was actually them hiding from God. Absolutely. Because they knew, they knew they'd done wrong. And she knew she was going to do wrong. But that's where Satan twisted it. That's where he twisted it around and made her believe that it was it was okay. Yep. Like we we allow we allow him to do that a lot. We allow him to twist our minds and twist our words and twist the way we do things. Like it's okay. You can go ahead and do that. Yep. But it's not okay. Well, and the reason that I want to I'm sorry, did you have something you want? No, no. I'm, I'm not trying to dominate the conversation. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, you're doing a fine job. Keep going. Yeah, okay. Thank you. Was that a compliment or was yes, that? Oh, okay. No, that was a dig. I'm, I'm so used to your digs. I'm I so know, used to your I'm digs like, anymore. Like, you know, Carl and I can be quiet. No, we can become silent, Ron. No. I like to hear you preach. I like to hear Carl talk. The reason I wanted to bring up or highlight that you mentioned the garden, because that's the goal, to get us back to the purity of that relationship. As my friend uh, Will says, we've got to get back to the purity and perfection of the relationship in the garden. That's what Jesus brings us back to. He doesn't bring us to a place where we can just sin and we can disobey the Father to our heart's content and and treat Jesus like our opt-out clause, because I think that's what we do. I think we treat him like an opt-out clause, and that's not what his purpose was. Um, but when we think of the garden, we think of, they had one command. Usually that's what you see a preach. They had one command. This will bring it back to the point um, for the topic, but don't eat from that tree. But the truth is they actually had two because the Sabbath originates in the garden. Mm-hmm. It's the only one of the big 10 commandments that he expresses out loud before there was ever sin. He said that he, he, he created everything in six days, and then he declared the seventh day a day of rest, and he gives the reason why. Not primarily so that we have a day of rest. I think that is important. I think that is secondary, but primarily the reason he gave the command was because I created everything in six days. I created you and your environment and everything that you know in six days, and on the seventh day, I rested. That's what he says. I rested. And he sets that up as a permanent memorial forever pointing back to him as creator. How is that not relevant to us in the new covenant? It is. Do you, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. You know, when you're sitting there saying that, do you think the seventh day is when, of course, I guess he said they come, that he come down every day, every cool, the cool of the day. Every evening, right? Every evening and walked. I wonder if he did on the Sabbath day, though. That's a good question. Hmm. Because he said he rested on the seventh day, maybe the seventh day he allowed them to, you know, I don't, I don't know that. That's an interesting question. I just that I just kind of popped in that. my that just popped in my little beady brain. <laughs> I do think it's important to to highlight though that that's the origin yeah. of the Sabbath because one of the reasons I've heard given for why we as Christians don't do the Sabbath is because the Sabbath is just a uh, it was a like a word picture for sin for separating from sin. Okay, maybe, but the issue is the Sabbath was established before sin entered the world. The Sabbath was established before there was original sin, let alone transgressional sin, so that doesn't make a lot of sense. And even if it was, uh, everything has a spiritual picture to it, right? 
But even if it has a spiritual picture, and it does have a spiritual picture, but just because it does doesn't mean that we have um, a past to ignore or to, to disregard the physical application of it. I would use marriage as an example. He uses marriage as a metaphor for our relationship with him frequently. Does that mean that I can just ignore the physical application for what he establishes as a healthy marriage between my wife and I? Of course not. You know, you see what I'm saying? Just because there's a, a spiritual application, that doesn't necessarily discount the physical application, especially if he doesn't tell us to ignore the physical application. If he says it, do it. Right. But if he doesn't say it, maybe you should probably just fall in alignment with what, what he's telling us there. And the origins of the Sabbath go back to the garden. And he reaffirms that in Exodus chapter 20 with the Ten Commandments. And he reaffirms there. I'll just, let me turn to that and I'll read that real quick. Because your actual question, Mike, was what does it mean to keep it holy, right? Mm -hmm. And I think the answer, I think we overcomplicate that. I, I think where the Pharisees got it wrong is they overcomplicated what it means to keep the Sabbath holy, right? They were adding burdensome rules on the people to the point where, like, it was almost to a point where if you didn't just lay in bed and not move and breathe shallow and not blink, that you were somehow breaking the Sabbath. And that's nonsense. That's, that, that turns it into a burden that it was never intended to be. So what he says in Exodus 20 is, in verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And then he clarifies, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of Yahweh your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant or your cattle or your sojourner, your foreigner, Gentiles, who stays with you. And then he gives the reason. For in six days Yahweh made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore Yahweh blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So again, when he gives the command, he, he, he tells us the simplicity of how to, how to honor it. Just don't do normal work. That's what he's saying. Just don't pursue your own um, um, secular advancement, I guess is one way to word that. Right. And then he give, he points back to himself again. The reason is because I created the heavens and the earth in six days. I created you on the sixth day. And then I sanctified the seventh day when I rested. It's all about him. And this is where I struggle with ignoring it because um, sometimes I think we take commandments that, that relate to how we treat our neighbor more seriously than we take commandments that relate to how we treat him. And I think that's a problem, especially when Jesus said that we should love the Lord our God first and most and love our neighbor secondary. So when it's something that he says, I want you to be weakly reminded that I'm your creator. I think that's something we should take seriously. Because to me, what he seems to be highlighting here is the primary focus of the Sabbath is to, to set ourselves apart as belonging to him and to keep our mind on him. So to answer like your question, to answer your question, obviously the physical application not doing work matters. He says it. But really what sanctifies the Sabbath is including him in it. Yes. Right? Honoring him in it, spending time with him. It's almost like your weekly appointment with him just to spend time with him on a day that he set apart because it reminds you that he's your creator, that you have your existence, that you draw breath because he chose to give you life. That's ultimately what the Sabbath points to. It's of all the Ten Commandments, and all, well, because this is going to be more than just one week probably, of all the Ten Commandments, it's the most repeated in Scripture. It's not the most repeated command of the Ten Commandments. It's the most repeated. 
when he gives the statutes and ordinances here in this section between Exodus chapter 20 and Exodus chapter 31, I think, is when Moses goes up and he's taught the law. And he's up there for what, 40 days? Yeah. Multiple periods of 40. But the, the, this is the first period of 40 days, and he goes up to get the second yeah. set of commandments for another 40 days. He goes back and forth. I don't know how he did it. He went up and down that mountain quite a bit. He had to be fit. That's oh. all I got to say. He's yoked. That's right. <laughs> when he gives the, uh, at the very end of it, it's almost like, uh, I, I hesitate to say contract because a contract's different than a covenant, but he gives the, the expectations for the covenant. Obviously, the Sabbath is right there in the in the the Ten Commandments right at, at the start. But then when he caps it off at the end, he repeats the Sabbath. It's the only one he repeats. And he says, keep the Sabbath holy. This is your sign upon you. This is your seal on you. Um, and the people say, I do. Essentially, he gives them this, these as vows. He said, this, this is the marriage covenant that I want with you. And the people respond, I do. And they, they establish the covenant. Um, as far as uh, relevance for us, I think the easiest place to point to to show that the Sabbath is still relevant for Christians, because the, the, the argument would be, yeah, that was the Old Testament. Even though we just talked about that, the argument is, yeah, but that was the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. That was Sinai. It's completely different now, um, which is kind of a weird argument because no, no good godly church has an issue with the other nine commandments. In fact, I would, I would wager most pastors would preach that you should obey the other nine. Um, I, I, I can't imagine many pastors saying it's okay to have idols now. It's okay not to love the Lord, your God. Now it's okay to cheat on your spouse. Now it's okay to covet. Now it's okay to dishonor your father and your mother now. But when we come to the Sabbath, we're like, eh, it's okay to dishonor that now. If nine of them are relevant, it's, it's hard to make the argument that the 10th or the fourth. Right. Isn't right. Especially when prophecy says this. In Isaiah 66, and the reason this is kind of interesting to me, of all the prophets, this isn't the book that Jesus quotes from the most, but of the prophets, he's the prophet. Okay. Bob's leaving. Mm -hmm. I'm, uh, I'm announcing it for everybody. Okay. Bob's out. I don't know who I'm going to stare. I'm going to stare at you now, Mike. I'll stare at Bob. Uh oh. See you guys. See you. And I'll wrap it up here. Um, oh, what's my train of thought? You're talking about the, uh, Isaiah is the prophet that he speaks most about? Yes. Jesus, of all the prophets, he quotes from that prophet the most. I believe the book he quotes from the most is uh, Psalms, I think, but of the prophets, he quotes from Isaiah the most. Isaiah ends his prophecy with, with speaking about the return of Jesus to establish the, the kingdom. And he says, starting in verse 22, for just as the new heavens and the new earth, which I make will endure before me declares Yahweh. So he's talking about the new heaven and the new earth in the future, which has not happened yet. So your offspring and your name will endure, and it shall be from new moon to new moon and from Sabbath to Sabbath, all mankind will, bow, will come to bow down before me, says Yahweh. Then they will go forth. And just to reiterate what time period this is in, um, for those of you that have read Revelation, this will seem very familiar. He says, Then they will go forth and look on the corpses of the men who have transgressed against me, for their worm will not die, and their fire will not be quenched, and they will be an aberrance to all mankind. This is very clearly, unarguably pointing to that thousand-year period when Jesus comes to establish a kingdom on earth, right? 
And it tells us in Revelation that there'll be there'll, there'll be a place you walk into Jerusalem and there'll be the corpses of like the Antichrist army there that are like perpetually burning as a reminder for what happens when we transgress. Guys, he takes his law seriously. He yeah. takes sin. He takes intentional transgressional sin very seriously. And there are consequences for having a heart condition that leads you to intentionally set it aside, especially if you do it out of despising him. Right. I'm not saying any of us are perfect. I'm not saying any, anybody's theology is perfect. I'm not saying that not obeying certain things will get keep you out of the kingdom. But if he takes something seriously, I think as as heartfelt, committed believers, we should take it seriously, too. We should be serious about the things he's serious about. Yeah. And in and, and Hebrew there, it's very clear when it says Sabbath, it's Shabbat. And that only ever means one thing. It, it, it's always pointing to what we just read about from Exodus. It is the seventh day Sabbath. Um, what's troubling to me is how this is kind of covered up sometimes because if somebody's listening and they're following along there in the New Living Translation, they actually change that. They actually change the wording there to read from, uh, it shall be from new moon to new moon and from week to week, all mankind will come to bow down before me. Mm. So they changed the word Sabbath to week to conceal the fact that Isaiah is talking in a future context about all mankind, Gentiles included, honoring the Sabbath and coming to bow down every Sabbath. That's a problem. Mm-hmm. That's a very serious problem. In Hebrew, there's a specific word for week, it's Shabuah. That doesn't appear in the text there. Isaiah right. does use that word, so Isaiah was aware of that word. It's yeah. not like this is a word that came into, into use after Isaiah's time. He uses that in his prophecy earlier, but not here. Yeah, so it's not, an op- it's not an opportunity of, oops, they just put the wrong word in. It's yeah. obviously not the right word. It's it's a little troubling. Yeah. Um, like I say, I think we'll put a bookmark on it there because I could talk about the Sabbath for weeks. And, and we will. We might. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And I'm, I just want to clarify again, I'm not, I'm not lecturing anybody. Well, I guess it does kind of sound like a lecture. I don't look down on anybody for not seeing this the same way as me. Right. Right. Um, most of the believers that, that I dearly love don't see the Sabbath the same way I do. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't look down on you for that. Uh, I don't think you're going to hell for that. You know, yeah. I, don't, I don't think you've lost your salvation for that. I don't think that Jesus stops loving you for that. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to let you, let you know that next week I, I've got a question on it Okay, and how you specifically and you, you and your family, uh, celebrate or, or, or uh, observe, observe the Pat, the, uh, the Sabbath. So, okay. All right. All right I'm excited. <laughs> we didn't do our song break. Let's actually, nope. let's go ahead, take a break. Um, we'll play our featured song that we'll come back with our final thoughts. Okay. That'll yeah. give with you guys. Okay. Yep. So this week we're going to play a song from Mike Maranatha called Truth Is. Really good song. Really love this artist. Uh, be sure and give it a listen and stick around and we'll be back on the other side with our final thoughts.
Get my cash, set me free from all of my iniquity. Yeah, he paid it to a tree where he paid the penalty for it. Let him know what the truth is. What the truth is. I gotta let him know what the truth is. So what the truth is. was truth is by mike maranatha so open it up to you guys final thoughts um my final thought on this is uh partially the reason that it was i mean it was on my heart and on my mind and this was something that initially when we talked about doing the b-side was one of the questions i i told you that i had that that i, I needed answered um so i'm gonna say when you find your tribe when you find your people and the ones that you're gonna expect to uh to hold you within those guardrails and to hold you accountable, find people that know more than you. Honestly, everybody should have some, you know, everybody should have people that did know more than them when it comes biblically and that, or that questions them or that uh, questions maybe how they see something, not for the sake of argument, but for the sake of being able to, like Carl said um, earlier, that he, the way that he um, observes may not be the way that everybody does, but he has reasons and he doesn't look down upon anybody for it. So I would say definitely always surround yourself with people that'll, that, that challenge you and challenge your faith. Love it. I've thought a lot about the Sabbath. I've read on it. You know, I've been told everything from what's on Sunday now. That's a Jewish thing. I've heard, I've heard it all. But I can't seem to get it out of my head. It's been there for a while. And, and I have to wonder if I'm, if it's in on my mind so much, why is it on my mind so much? I think I know the answer. But here I am again at that crossroads. Mm-hmm. Do I obey? Do I? No, it's changed because of some lame excuse I could drum up <laughs> and justify it. Right. I, I, that's where I'm at with it. That's my final thought. Mm-hmm. So I'm actually nowhere yet. <laughs> 
Uh, this is hard for me because I don't like confrontation. <laughs> I don't. And um, I just, I want to be agreeable. The flesh in me wants to be agreeable very much. So Carl, you're a married man. <laughs> <laughs> it's a struggle. Okay. It's a, it's a constant battle. Um, I don't take this lightly is what I'm trying to say. If, if, if I express something passionately, it's because I have dug into it in scripture. I'm not saying I'm always right, but I will say that I've dug into it scripturally. And, uh, I believe what the father says. I believe the father first, even if every Christian in the world disagree with me on something, if, if, if the father says something and it's very clear what he's saying, I'm, I'm going to side with him every single time. I'm not going to do it out of spite or, or, or vengefully or anything like that. But, um, we just can't let ourselves be pushed into disobeying him. Right. Right. We, mm -hmm. We've got to do things his way. And we've got to be very, very sure that what we're doing is his way. Yep. Um, we can't just take people's word for it. Um, we, we, have, we have scripture for a reason. We're very blessed in the Western world that, that we have such easy access to scripture. And we should not be, uh, how do I say this? Flippant about it. Flippant. That's very good. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> We've got to take it seriously. Um, I had, and, and trying to run long here, I had two experiences driving the past week. Not soccer. I didn't say driving. A didn't say okay. a word. All right. The first was uh, on the corner where I live, there's a gas station. And there's a, there's a, it's not a four-way, um, the, the cross traffic doesn't have a stop sign. So it's, it's, is that what it is? It's a two-way. Okay. So they were having issues with people trying to cut through their parking lot to avoid the stop sign. And they had so much issue with it that they put a sign up just recently that says no through traffic. It was hilarious. The first time I noticed this sign, I'm stopped behind another truck at this, at this stop sign. And I look over, I notice the sign. I'm like, oh, I guess they finally got tired of the through traffic. They put a sign up. And I kid you not, not so, not so much as like 10 seconds after I noticed that a woman pulled up beside me and aggressively whipped over and pulled right through their parking lot, right by this sign <laughs> to bypass the stop sign and to, to pull out on the main road. I'm like, get grief. Oh, geez. Hilariously, I, I get through the stop sign and I'm going the same direction as her and she doesn't get maybe a quarter mile down the road and then turns off to the left at her destination. <laughs> Saves her maybe five seconds. Yeah. Maybe five seconds. Oh, uh, yeah. That's a great story too, Carl, because how many road signs has God put in our path? Mm-hmm. I see the spiritual connection here that we drive past at 100 miles an hour and go, that must be for somebody else because I, I, I'm going over here. Yep. Mm -hmm. We want to go our own way. Yep. We want to go our own way and do it, do it our own way. Right. The other experience I had was I, was I was getting ready to stop at a stop sign, and there was a guy that stopped uh, ahead of me. It was at a three-way. And he wanted me to go first. He stopped first. And he's like aggressively kind of waving me on before I come to a stop. I'm like, dude, I've got to stop first. I don't know if there's cops around. You know what I mean? Right. Like right. he's wanting me to roll on through. I think that highlights the two issues that we have when we come to God's road signs. We either try to blow right past it because we want to do it our own way, or we allow somebody else to pressure us into ignoring his road signs. We've got to resist both. Mm. We really yeah. do. If he says it, there's a reason he says it. And, you know, this week we we briefly addressed, we might do a little bit more, kind of slow it down a little bit and just take our time with it. 
next week, but we've already shown that that he's serious about it as far as the Sabbath specifically. And the reason I'm narrowly focused on the Sabbath is one, because you asked about it, Mike, and two, mm-hmm. because it's it's really the main point of contention when it comes to the Father's law within the churches. It's primarily focused, the rejection of the law is primarily focused on his Sabbath. And we'll get into that because you mentioned Mike, uh, other Mike. Uh, which nickname are we using for you this week? I don't know. You all pick it random, so I have no idea. No nickname, Mike, this week, uh, <laughs> that it's a Jewish thing. We're going to look at that next week. There's a, there's a devotional I want to read that um, kind of highlights that problem, that we treat it like a Jewish thing. But I, what I just read from Isaiah here makes it clear all mankind. All mankind comes to, to bow down before him on the Sabbath. So clearly, it's not a Jewish thing. Isaiah says it in the context of the future return of Jesus. So clearly, it's a new covenant, it's a new covenant context, so it's a new covenant thing. God takes it seriously. It's in his big 10 commandments and it existed before even transgressional sin entered the world. So those are a lot of arguments for why we should ignore the Sabbath kind of just destroyed all in one fell swoop, just using scripture, just pointing at scripture. Something just occurred to me. Everybody's quick to push off. That's a Jewish thing. Let's not forget. Jesus was a Jew. Mm. Okay. Prophets were all Jews. We can, we can, it's like, here we go, cherry picking again. I think the real disdain for a lot of Christians about that's a Jewish thing is because, well, they crucified Christ. I wonder how much of that plays into us saying that it's a Jewish thing. Yeah. We might get into that a little bit next week. He, you're, you're right. He, he is. He is a, a king in the line of, of David who was Jewish. He's a Judean king. He's going to come back to rule as the, the, the Davidic king and our high priest. We're going to look at a passage next week, I think, if we have time, that, that describes what that, what that rule is going to look like. And it, it's challenging. It's very challenging for what we're typically taught about what his rule will look like. I just find that interesting. Uh, an interesting thought, one that I had. We don't hate Italians. They were Romans. Mm-hmm. But yet, we have a problem with Jewish things. You know, I just find that interesting. Yeah. It makes up the psyche. That's it. I'm done. <laughs> I think that's all my final thought, too, I guess. Um, we just need to take his whole word seriously and not just browbeat certain things. Pick and choose what commands that we want to uphold um, and which ones that we want to discard. Uh, if it's something that... that he has changed that's one thing but you we better be very clear that he has i just want to reiterate that it better be very clear that he has and when it comes to the sabbath there's there's really nothing biblically we will look at one so-called proof text next week from galatians because that will be the the primary response usually when you bring this up is well have you read galatians yes i have (laughs) and it doesn't say what you think it says (laughs) it's it's not a lawless book um and and galatians cannot cancel out what we just read from isaiah so that's all I got. Um, like I say, bookmark this and more to come, I guess. All right. As uncomfortable as it, as it is for me, more to come. <laughs> you want to pray us out? No nickname? Sure. <clears throat> Lord God, we come to you tonight. We thank you for everything that's good in our lives, everything, period, that's in our lives. Everything we have comes from you. Father, help us to remember that. We should be praising you in the good times, the bad times, no matter what the circumstance. We don't have the full picture. You do. We must trust you. Father, I ask that everyone 
trust you wholeheartedly, myself included. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Amen.